Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Bank UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Bank UK family and stay tuned. Hi and welcome to the Relax Bank UK family. Thank you for joining us where every week I talk to experts in a health and wellness field. By default, you're part of the larger UK health radio family, which engages with 1.3 million people each month. So again, welcome. This week, the topic is medical trials. Thousands are carried out around the world each year, but not all of them have the results made public. Step in Till Bruckner of charity Transparimed. We want the results of all clinical trials to rapidly made public um, so that medical science can progress faster and that patients can benefit from um, better science and uh, more transparent science. We talk about medical trials of all different types and why some of their results might not see the light of day. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Pharmaceutical companies make the drugs that many of us rely on from day to day or we need occasionally when we're ill. Um, in fact, pharmaceutical companies are the third most profitable activity in the UK after finance and tourism. So there's definitely big money in it. Uh, they do make money from providing medicine. And for some people, making money from medicine doesn't seem quite right, seems a little bit icky. Um, but they are, pharmaceuticals are money-making enterprises and they need to have a stream of new drugs because when they make a drug, there's a patent on it and after a while that patent runs out and they can't make so much money from it. So they do need a constant stream of new drugs. Now, these new drugs need to be tested, trialled to see if they work. Now, my knowledge on this is admittedly fairly limited uh, which why I've invited my guest along. But it's what I know is most of it is from a great book called Bad Science by Ben Goldacre. And I really do uh, recommend that. It's a great read and it does talk about um, medical trials. Now, these trials, they can be manipulated um, for a number of reasons or down to a number of reasons. Uh, some due to willful sort of a willful want to massage uh, the results, uh, to suppress negative results, and sometimes this is down to publication bias. Um, publication bias might not be on purpose per se, um, usually it, it isn't at all. Um, if you do get a negative finding on your trial, uh, you might not want to shout about it or publish it. It might be hard to get it published as the results aren't actually that exciting. So journals may not want to publish it. But what this means is that the results don't get seen by anyone else. This is useful info. Someone else might spend time testing the same thing or trying to answer the same question. Or if this drug then does go on to be used, uh, results from the trial might not be known about by doctors who prescribe it. These results might be um, side effects, information about side effects, that sort of thing. There's a lot more in Ben Goldacre's book 
uh, bad science so I do recommend it again but what there is there is a solution to the problem and my next guest has made it his business to put this solution into practice he is Till Bruckner of the charity Trans Transparimed and my first question to him is what is the objective of your charity well, I mean, the objective is to end evidence distortion in medicine, to put it grandly. To put it more simply, we want the result of all clinical trials to rapidly made public um, so that medical science can progress faster and that patients can benefit from um, better science and uh, more transparent science. All right. Well, this sounds like a very laudable objective, I have to say. Um, Medical trials. What what exactly is a medical trial? Because it's not well. I, everybody knows the term, but maybe not everyone really knows what a medical trial is. I'm, I'm not sure if I do really. Well, I mean, with a with a clinical trial, what you're trying to find out is um, whether treatment works, whether it helps patients, or whether it does more harm than good, or alternatively, which of two treatments works better. So if you imagine, for example, um, does aspirin or ibuprofen work better for headaches? Well, the best way to answer that question is to take 10,000 people with headaches and randomly give them either aspirin or ibuprofen and then ask them how they're feeling afterwards. Right. And then you should have some pretty good figures on it. Because if you're just asking your neighbor, you know, is aspirin better or is ibuprofen better? Um, then uh, you might be getting a misleading answer because it could just be uh, distorted by chance. Right. So it really creates like a strong basis of knowledge for what works and doesn't work. My, my first impression is that trials are very important but could potentially get very complicated from an ethical and a scientific point of view quite quickly. So for instance, if you're trying to find out what drug is best? You, you, you gave an example there of two drugs for headaches. If you're, so if you're testing a drug, can you ethically just give the, another cohort that you're testing against another drug? Or should you give them the best drug that's currently available? You know, because it might be a serious disease they've got, you know, and you can't just kind of experiment with people's lives. So I can imagine this kind of stuff very quickly gets quite ethically and scientifically complicated. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, for that reason, you cannot run a clinical trial anywhere in the world without review by an ethics committee. You cannot run a clinical trial unless there is something that is called clinical equipoise, which is that you genuinely do not know what works better. So for example, if you run a clinical trial of different approaches to cesarean sections, you know, is it better to cut from left to right or from top to bottom, you know? You need to show that there isn't already the evidence out there showing which approach is better. So rather than surgeons just making sort of educated guesses for the next 20 years, you run a clinical trial to find it out. But if it's already very, very clear 
that um, that one treatment is better than the other, then you don't have to run a clinical trial. You will never get the permission to run a clinical trial. And I mean, that's the way it should be because it's not an open question in medicine. And another thing is, of course, if you're trying a new, very promising medication for somebody who is suffering from cancer, for example, you will use as the control group you will use the best medicine already on the market. Yes. You cannot just give half of people a sugar pill because that would be completely and utterly unethical. And it would also not tell you anything useful because we already know that sugar pills don't do anything. So if your new treatment only works slightly better than a sugar pill, that's not scientific advance. No. Um, so um, yeah, very, very complex ethically and scientifically, uh, which is why there's a lot of regulations around clinical trials. And there's a lot of safeguards around clinical trials. And uh, that's the way it should be. Yeah, no, this this is a, a, a good thing. Uh, one instance where lots of rules and regulations is, is a very good thing. Is there? Um, this is probably an impossible question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there an how many trials or is there an estimate of how many trials happen in the world each year? Well, so you're going to get the classic academic answer from me. Well, that depends how you define clinical trial. Um, but if you're looking at clinical trial registries, there's literally tens of thousands of clinical trials being run every year. So this is not only for medicines, but this is also for medical devices. It's for surgical techniques. It's for uh, behavioral interventions. It's for things like physiotherapy. You know, is physiotherapy better at alleviating knee pain? than regular exercise, mild exercise, for example. That could be a question, and that would be a clinical trial. So um, I think in the UK every year, literally hundreds of thousands of people participate in the clinical trial. Um, it's, a, it's a huge enterprise. It's a huge business. Um, and um, it's really, really important to healthcare, because if we don't run clinical trials, you know, we're just left guessing. Sure. And as well as been very important, I mean, to run a clinical trial is very, very expensive, isn't it? I mean, it's not something that any entity does lightly, I'm sure. Well, it depends. I mean, the costs vary hugely. I mean, if you're running, for example, a trial for a COVID vaccine with 40,000 participants, that is hugely expensive. If you're running a small phys uh, clinical trial of physiotherapy, you know, or different physiotherapy techniques. I mean, that's the sort of thing that a PhD student might be doing as part of their PhD, and you don't really need a big budget on it. So it really is a question of um, how long is a piece of string? You know, how big is the trial? How is it designed? What are you measuring? Okay. All right. So, all right, we've, we've covered kind of what they are and what the objective is. The, 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 the nub of kind of the, the question today, I suppose this, to some extent, is summed up in the name of your charity, TransparyMed, um, to keep everything transparent. Um, and you mentioned it earlier in, in, our, in our chat. You know, are the results um, made public and freely available? And I, I, I suspect the answer to this is not, but... Why not? You know, what, what purpose does sort of not, not publishing all the results possibly serve? And, you know, what's behind it? And is it, is it a problem in the first place? 
it's a massive problem because um, we don't know exactly how many, but we estimate that between a third and half of clinical trial results are never made public. We know from multiple studies that um, clinical trial results that are negative are less likely to be made public than positive ones. Um, so if you run a clinical trial that shows that, wow, you know, this is the best treatment ever, this is really going to help patients, you know, this is really exciting, you know, you'll get that published in a journal really easily. If you run a clinical trial showing that oh you know we just tried the 300 treatment for alzheimer's and sadly this one didn't work either that is not half as exciting and um, there's there's really two big reasons why clinical trials don't get made public i mean one of them is if the clinical trial is run by a commercial company um, involving its own products um, and the results are disappointing obviously they're not keen on sharing the news and i think that is something that you know we can all relate to and i don't think i don't think it makes much sense blaming a profit maximizing industry for uh, doing that i think the the right approach there is for blaming policymakers to allow that to happen for not ensuring that all results are being made public um the second big problem is with um non-profit trials that are run by universities, by hospitals, by academic researchers. And there you run into this problem of, well, you know, are the results exciting? Am I going to get them published in like some great scientific journal that is going to further my career? Or am I just going to get them published in some sort of low-grade journal where it's not really worth the time and the effort? And again, you know, if you're looking at, I mean, I've spoken with so many medical researchers over the years, I still haven't met a single evil person in that area. But, um, you know, you need to you need to understand their perspectives. I mean, they're extremely busy. They all want to help patients. So if you found out that something didn't work, do you really want to spend two weeks of your life documenting in huge detail that this didn't work? Or would you rather run on onto the next exciting project and try and find something that really does work? So this makes complete sense from the individual uh, researcher's perspective. The problem is, of course, that if you look at it collectively, then you will get like 100 researchers repeating the same trial because they don't know that somebody else already found out that this particular treatment didn't work. So it's a catastrophe for medicine in the aggregate, but um, there's no bad will on, on the part of individual researchers there. Let, let, okay, let, let, let's just step back and look at those two sort of two areas uh, you, you mentioned. First of all, sort of in the commercial world, so presumably this is large pharmaceutical companies and they might have a, a drug or a medical device that they test and the results aren't as wonderful as they had hoped. So the thing's not published, you say. I, I have to say, I can't, I find it, I can't imagine a scenario where you've literally got a group of people sitting around a table looking at the results and they say, these results are bad, we can't publish them sort of knowing full well that if they go ahead and then sell this drug, it's going to do some people damage. Is it as simple as that? Is that what happens, do you think? Because I find that most people are good. I find it hard to believe that the people around that table come to that conclusion without something else going on. 
No, I think there have been various court cases in the past where, uh, you know, meeting minutes and internal documents have been disclosed. And yes, that happens. And I don't think we need to be surprised about that. I mean, you know, car companies fudge their emission tests, you know, banks broke banking regulations and put millions of people out of jobs, you know, and out of their savings, you know. I mean, if you're working in a capitalist model, in a capitalist model where the purpose of a company is to maximize profits, that is what companies will do. And I don't think it's very helpful to then go, oh, you know, this is so naughty that you didn't do it because it's in the medical field, because that is just what you'd expect like a rational company to do in a capitalist system. That's why you need laws and regulations, you know, and I'm saying this as a libertarian, you know, this is just an area where you need laws and regulations because other thing, otherwise it won't work. Patients will get hurt, you know. So at the moment, are there not laws that say, right, Mr. Big Pharmaceutical Company, um, you, you've done, you've done this um, large trial, you must publish the results. So are they under no obligation to publish results at the moment? Or is it different in different parts of the world? It's different in different parts of the world, and it's different for different types of trials. So um, for drug trials in the UK, um, on paper, there is already a law that you have to do it and you have to make the results public within a year um, and what we're seeing with large pharmaceutical companies is that when there are laws in place they actually stick to the laws so um, you know i can criticize the pharmaceutical industry all day long but the truth is that if there's legislation in place they respect those laws they make the results public um, the problem is mainly in academia because their researchers often don't even understand the laws and then regulators aren't necessarily enforcing the laws particularly well and the good news here is that the uk is probably the best country worldwide for doing this i mean the uk medicines regulator they just said that they will um, adopt a new law and actually implement that law um, where the result of all drug trials must be made public within a year. So for drug trials, I think going forward in the UK, the problem will be solved, but that still leaves uh, medical device trials, trials of physiotherapy, and then there are various rules on the book in the UK. I mean, the um, Health Research Authority very clearly says every clinical trial in the UK must make its results public within a year. But um, they don't have the me they don't have the means to enforce that, and that's a big legal gap. If you go to other countries in Europe, if you go to Germany or to France, um, you run a trial of physiotherapy. There's absolutely no obligation to make the results public. Right. You know, you can you can just choose whether you make the results public or not. There is zero legal obligation. So the UK is far ahead of other countries in that. We, so we've spoken a little bit about pharmaceutical companies. Let's home in a little bit on academia um do you know universities and academic institutions do they really carry out a lot of medical trials i mean they, they do lots of experiments and they might be medical type experiment experiments you know trying to find cures for cancer and you know they might come up with all the things that you might want to test in these these uh, situations in these these trials but do, does academia really do the trials? Isn't that normally done by 
passed on to a pharmaceutical company? Is that how it works? No, there's a huge amount of uh, clinical research being done by universities, um, also by charities, uh, by various NHS bodies. Clinical research, um, yes, but not necessarily trials. Not trials as well. Oh, a huge okay. amount of trials. Because, for example, where we have like the scenario where you've already got two different drugs on the market and your question is which one of them works better. No company's ever going to run that trial. You know, they're, they're quite happy to just send out their sales teams to uh, tell doctors that theirs is better. They don't really have an incentive of um, running running a trial that could show that their product is inferior. That sort of trial is nearly always run by, by universities. Um, a lot of trials in the area of, you know, like I said, surgery, physiotherapy, there is no profit in improving surgical or physiotherapy um, techniques. You know, that is all run by academia, by charities, by NHS bodies, and that's the way it should be. So I suppose that creates a, an issue because so I, I have some experience of academia. I'm, my wife is, a, is an academic and I, I know firsthand that life as an academic is not easy. And um, you, you publish or you perish. So there's a real requirement to to publish papers as you said earlier you know if the result is not exciting it's very hard to um to publish so um you know if 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 you do an experiment or if it, indeed it is a if a trial of some sort is done in academia and the result is not you know mind-boggling and going to change the world as we know it it's almost impossible to get these things published so an an academic if it's a trial, as if they're doing a trial, I can imagine them saying, right, let's move on, on to the next thing, because there's literally no time. If they spend all their time trying to publish things that won't get published, because it's not up to them if it's published or not, it goes into a journal. Um, so it seems like the problem might be with the, the, the system in some way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what people argued for a long time. Oh, you know, there's a systemic problem. We need culture change, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's really good for looking at the problem, but that's not good for looking at solutions, you know, because, you know, academics can talk about changing academia all day long. Um, the reality is, yes, you can find some journal to uh, publish the results of your unexciting clinical trial but it's not going to be the kind of top journal that makes your career and it's going to take up a lot of your time you're not going to be rewarded for it it's not going to add points to your cv and uh, you've got very little incentive to do that in academia and that's a massive issue so uh, what we've got now is we've got uh, clinical trial registries where you can just upload the summary results of a clinical trial onto a registry that typically takes one or two days and then that counts as publication so that people don't have to spend a lot of time but again the problem is nobody is going to reward them for that nobody's going to pay them for that it's not going to help their careers and again that is why you need um, very clear laws and regulations about that where it's just understood that if you run a clinical trial that is just part of the requirement right and especially if you're thinking about you know 
who funds these academic clinical trials? Most of them are funded by taxpayers in one way or the other. So I'm paying for a clinical trial. Somebody else is running that clinical trial with patient volunteers. You know, the only people who participate in clinical trials are people who generously volunteer to participate in them. I think both the patients who participated and the taxpayer have got the right to expect that the results are made public so that we benefit from them. Because even though that trial result might look unexciting, it tells us something really valuable. And the valuable thing is that, dear fellow researchers, you don't need to run another trial like this because we've already found out that this doesn't work. So let's focus on something else. So it's a really valuable scientific result. You know, it's just not going to do much for your career. This this idea of a register sounds sounds very good, actually. It sounds like it would, you know, save massive amounts of time and still get the information out there. So that that that's up and running just now, is it? Um, those registers have been around for uh, nearly 20 years now, and um, that system is well established. Before you start a clinical trial, you must register it in the registry. And what's now becoming more and more the norm, um, especially in the UK, is that when you finish the clinical trial, you also put the results onto the registry. And that's where we want to get. We want to get mm. to everyone routinely as a matter of course as soon as they finish their clinical trials putting the results on the registry and then they can worry about also getting them published in a journal you know but they should be going out on a registry first and uh, luckily um, the health research authority in the uk um, shares that perspective and they're also pushing in the same direction and the world health organization is too because that's the only way to overcome this problem so this registry idea is is, uh, is is global then, really, is it? It's global. Yeah. It's just that the UK is far further ahead than other countries in it, except in the case that in the UK, we still don't have any clear, um, any clear mechanism for finding people who don't upload the results. And as I said, you know, people working in this area tend to be lovely, they tend to do the right thing. But every now and then you might get somebody who really, you know, requires a fine to remind them to do the right thing. In the US, um, if you run a clinical trial that is governed by law, and you don't make the results public, you have to pay a fee of $13,000 every day that the clinical trial result is over. Now, they haven't started imposing those fines, but the law is on the books. And I think that sharpens minds. And that is what we're pushing for in the UK. We're not pushing for the government to run around um, doling out punishments. But I think as a as a last last ditch defense line, you know, if a company or an investigator really refuses to do the right thing, you know, you need to have a mechanism where you just force them to do the right thing for patients and to do the right thing for society. I can, I can see that getting this sort of information out there is, is very important, certainly, and that evidence distortion could have a bad uh, impact on patients. Um, Again, this might be a bit of an unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, anyway, do you, do you have any sort of case studies or examples where this evidence distortion has actually caused, um, you know, some harm? Massively, yeah. I mean, all, all over the place. I mean, imagine, imagine um, there are 10 different clinical trials run off a treatment, and by pure chance, a couple of them will be successful. 
Um, but the other eight show that it's show that it doesn't do anything or that it's harmful, and only the two get published. Well, suddenly you've got literature that suggests that this um, treatment actually works really well. And we have that in the case of Tamiflu back in the um, 1990s, 2000s, I think. And this was this was meant to be like the frontline defense against the next pandemic was Tamiflu. You know, if like the big flu pandemic hits, you know, we'll give everyone Tamiflu and it'll keep them out of hospital. It'll keep them out of the graveyard. It'll get them back to work quicker. And governments worldwide spent tens of billions of dollars on Tamiflu. And um, afterwards, they found out that, well, you know, some clinical trial results hadn't been made public. And if you actually looked at the evidence at as a whole, you know, that drug wasn't really worth buying. So that is a lot of money down the drain there. You've got, um, you've got other examples where uh, with um, some kinds of um, antidepressants, there were signals in clinical trials showing that teenagers might be at more harm of suicide if they go on to this antidepressant treatment. Um, that was deliberately suppressed by the companies uh, running those trials. And... Um, you know, the most recent one was uh, is a COVID treatment that isn't widely offered in the UK, but that is offered in uh, in a lot of um, poorer countries, especially, where uh, companies based in India didn't make public the results of a dozen clinical trials. Um, billions of dollars worth of that treatment were were sold, and then a large clinical trial showed that essentially it doesn't really work. So if you're thinking about a poor country, say in Latin America, like buying a lot of those drugs, I mean, this is money that goes away from other essential health services. You know, this could have gone to pay nurses, this could have gone to pay midwives, you know. Um, so yeah, we do, have, we do have an endless series of case studies where sometimes a drug was bought that didn't do much. Sometimes a medical device turned out harmful. And then when you looked again, actually, you know, the, the, uh, the data weren't made public. And uh, sometimes, you know, patients only receive the second best treatment because from the evidence, you can't see that another treatment is actually better. Right. So, I mean, you, you, can, you can see, you know, just from these examples that this is, you know, important and serious stuff. And, and needs to be taken seriously for sure. Um, I mean, if, if people are listening to this and they want to get to grips a, a little bit more with some of these uh, examples or some of the, the situation, what is a, a good resource for people to learn a little, a little bit more? And not necessarily scientists, you know, I'm talking about Joe Public here. Oh, I think the best the best one is uh, Ben Goldacre's book, Bad Pharma, which was published about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, in some ways it's a bit outdated, but it's a really lively, you know, uh, lively narrative introduction to the problem and to all the things that can go wrong and how it can be fixed. And, I've, I've read um, his book, Bad Science. Um, yeah. And, and Bad Pharma... Bad Pharma is, I mean, it's brilliantly written. It's really, uh, it's really fantastic in terms of content. And it just takes you from one page to the other. And by the time you've finished it, you've also learned a lot about statistics without even realizing it, which is right. a bonus. So, Till, I'm sure another, another resource is uh, your charity's website. Is, is there kind of uh, useful information there? 
Yeah, I mean, if you really want to geek out about clinical trials and clinical trial regulation, uh, there's a lot that you can find on there. And um, if you want to find a good reason to be happy to be British, um, you will find a lot of international rankings where generally the UK is actually looking rather good for a change. Okay, and what, what what's the website of your charity? It's uh, org. Okay, and if people want to get involved, I don't know, do, do you need volunteers? Do you need people to help with the charity? Do you need donors? Well, I mean, money would be absolutely wonderful because this has been running on a shoestring for years. So, um, yeah, please do get in touch if you're feeling generous. Um, otherwise, if you're if you're a patient, please ask when you enroll in a clinical trial, are you going to make the results public? Are you going to promise me that the results will be made public within a year? And I think that is like the most useful thing you can do as a patient, you know, just saying, look, the World Health Organization says the results should be made public within a year. Can you promise to me that that will happen? And please, good people out there, um, participate in clinical trials because that's the only way that uh, we can develop better treatments. Okay. Perfect place to, to finish, Till. Very, very interesting discussion. I have to admit, it's something which I, I hadn't thought about in the past at all. So uh, uh, an education, uh, certainly for me, and hopefully, hopefully for others as well. So, so many thanks. Yeah, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, let's make the world a better place. Thank you very much to Till Bruckner of Transparimed for being my guest on this week's show. Absolutely fascinating topic of medical trials. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.